Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So do you know what the needs of the people are around you? As you consider your neighborhood or community, your co-workers, your friends, your family, or what about the strangers that you encounter in the store or on the streets? Do you know what their needs happen to be? Can you discern if their needs are poverty, dealing with issues of aging, loneliness, or depression? Maybe the needs of the people around you is because they are underemployed or unemployed. Maybe some of those people you're encountering have family conflicts or they themselves are dealing with an over-aggressive sense of worth and value. Maybe the person that you encounter has just lost a loved one, or they're dealing quietly with a physical ailment like cancer. Truth be told, every place we turn, there are people who are hurting, who have pain, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And as you consider the tapestry of people that surround you, you discover that you yourself, well, you're just like them. Truth be told, most people, all people, suffer. We hurt. We ache. We have pain. It's a consequence of being a person living in the world. Most people have too many hurts in their own lives to seriously invest in the lives of others. And some of you would like to be more involved, but you've got too much on your plate already. Outwardly, we'd like to say, yes, we're going to make a difference in the world. But inwardly, our hearts are broken. So how do we capture a faith that burns? How do we enlighten the world with the love of Jesus when we struggle to do so ourselves? I love today's gospel reading. It may be one of the most relatable readings in some respects in the gospel narratives that follow the resurrection of Jesus. And I would tell you that today's reading hits us with a very simple truth, that it requires faith and trust to live a life that is on fire for the Lord. Now, track with the story. We have two followers of Jesus, one who's named is Cleopas, the other unnamed, and they're headed to Emmaus following the events in Jerusalem. It's such a nice way of putting it, isn't it? Following the events in Jerusalem where they witness Jesus get arrested and beaten and crucified and dead. They witnessed angry mobs, shouting crowds, Roman centurions. They got the whole experience. This was traumatic. 
Have you ever experienced a traumatic event? I want you to think about how you felt going through the event and in the hours immediately thereafter. It's difficult. It's hard to focus. These two disciples, they're battling the big D's. Depression, discouragement, and disillusionment. I think we've felt that way before. Have you ever felt that way before? I know I have felt that way before. It can be something as silly and trivial as maybe your sport team leaving or losing. But it could be more, can't it? It's when there's death. There's destruction. There's news that's so overwhelming and cannot be turned the other way. History often marks those events, don't they? Look at what goes on in our text. It's in Luke 24. I'm just going to read verses 17 and then 21. And this mysterious stranger comes along. He said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. You know when somebody looks sad, don't they? When you see somebody that's truly aching in their heart. And then in verse 21, the, the two speak. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. So he's saying three days. We witnessed all this three days later, and we are hurting. Everything they had known had been turned upside down, and for that matter, inside out. Everything they had trusted failed. Everything they believed in seemed to them to be a wash. Uh, the saddest words spoken in this text. We had hoped. Think of somebody who goes to the doctor. And they're given a treatment. This treatment's going to cure all the problems. And then their health gets worse. We had hoped. Or the parent who loves their child and the child goes off to college and, and the child is going to be a great engineer. And then the child comes home and washes out. We had hoped. When hope is fractured and it fails, our hearts are broken. You see, all that these disciples knew was based on what they could see. And what they could see was failure. All they could see was death. All they could see was everything they believed in did not come to pass. It's hard to see what God is doing when we are in the middle of it. The middle is the most uncomfortable place to be. When you start out, you have hopes and aspirations and dreams and goals and everything looks really exciting. And then when we're past it and it's over and we can look back. Now we can see where the hand of God was working in and through the moment. But when you're in the middle, all you see is the chaos around you. See, the middle requires faith 
and I will tell you, faith requires some trust. Trust that God is with you, that God is leading you, that God is walking with you, that God will not abandon nor forsake you. That's trust. It requires believing that there is more than you can see with your eyes. Trusting that God is walking right alongside you and not leaving you. The text continues in verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? I love that. You know, here are these guys mourning. <laughs> here are these guys whose lives are turned upside down and inside out. And what does Jesus call them? Foolish ones. That is not necessarily the first page I would take out and use in teaching pastoral care and compassion to the morning. And yet, the reality was that these disciples, they were slow to believe all the promises of Scripture. I wonder if Jesus was a little frustrated at that moment. You spend all this time teaching somebody something. Then you ask them the question, and they still give you the wrong answer after three years of teaching them something. I don't think he was frustrated. I think he needed to wake them up. You see, our problem is we set up God to do something that he never said he would do, and that leads us to heartbreak. I think we do that all the time as the people of God. We just, we just tell God what we want done as opposed to allowing God to tell us what he is going to do. And in and through the moments and rhythms of life, God still works miracles. So with that being said, for you and me, it requires knowledge that Jesus is always with you, just like these disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. I just look at what happens next in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I love this passage of scripture because what it's telling me is that Jesus must have given them the greatest Old Testament lesson of all time. Can you imagine the master teacher... He who was there in the beginning opens the scriptures to them, starting with Moses, so starting with the Pentateuch, starting with Genesis, and walks them forward. That had to be one instructive, informative walk, to be sure. I'd love to think that, that God, in this moment, that he's pointing him back. And he goes right there to Genesis. Genesis 3.15, you know, Adam and Eve, there they are, hanging out in the garden, everything's good. Oh, look at the serpent comes along. Oh, look at the fruit. Did God really say you shouldn't be eating of this? They eat, their eyes are open, chaos ensues. God comes, punishes the serpent, punishes Eve, punishes Adam. And then he gives him this little word. I would put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And all of that comes to pass at the cross, doesn't it? 
where Satan and God go to war. The cosmic struggle between death and life. Eternal damnation and eternal glory in the kingdom of heaven. And from there, the remainder of scripture as it opens up to us, there's this pattern of death and resurrection. And Jesus is opening the eyes and the hearts of these disciples to see that. I'd love to consider just for a moment how the Israelites, you know, as he's going through the scripture and he points out that they escaped physical death in the wilderness from a plague of serpents when they looked trustingly on the bronze serpent with Moses raised on the pole. You know, I have a suspicion Jesus went there. Why? Because Jesus is pointing them to the gospel of John for us. But in that teaching, when he said to them at the end of John 3, it's really verses 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus was pointing them to the truth that redemption through personal salvation by faith in him is what this was all about. You see, the, the resurrection of Jesus was proof that he had fulfilled all that he had prophesied over the centuries. That scripture was true, that it all came to pass in this glorious moment. And I want you to be aware of the fact that Christ wasn't there simply to help the two followers find solutions to life's great problems. He was there to remind them, did not the Christ have to suffer these things? He points them back to the cross. And for you and me, as we're suffering things in life, need to look back to the cross. Because through that suffering, we see the redemption of Jesus for the world. See, understand this. Jesus knows all your doubts and all your concerns. You're not alone in this. You don't have to look to the stranger on the street and wonder, do they know what's going on? They're too busy trying to figure out what's going on in their own lives. But all you have to do is look to Jesus. He, he sees your heartbreak, and he wants to point you to the answer. The answer that's in his nail-pierced hands and pierced side in resurrected and glorious body. And look at how the text kind of winds up. It's verses 28 and 29. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in, and he stayed with them. I, I love this. Jesus is going to keep walking. No, 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 no. Come stay with us. They're enjoying this Bible study way too much for it to end, aren't they? And the followers, they, they invite Jesus to be with them. Not, not just to stay at their house, but to be with them. To talk, to share, and ultimately, as you and I know, to break bread. I love how the text wraps up. And their eyes were opened. So when he's at table with them, he takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to them, and their eyes were opened. 
And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And the next verse. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, it's in the breaking of bread that Jesus is no longer a stranger. It's in the breaking of bread where they realize who exactly he is. And if heartbreak comes by walking by sight, heart's burning comes from walking by faith. And the scripture ends with the disciples getting up after Jesus vanishes from their sight. He's really good at that, by the way, in these resurrection stories, isn't he? And what do they do? They run back to Jerusalem. Remember, it was night. They were tired. They said, well, it's a long journey. Don't go on. Stay with They do the opposite. They do exactly the opposite of what they told Jesus to do. Because the compelling story of hearts burning for the Lord can't be contained. So where's your heart today? What is piled up on your plate that is just too heavy a burden to carry? What are you personally struggling with? And are you ready to turn that over to Jesus? A burning heart for Jesus is a passion to live for him. Today, will you decide to get past the hurts of your life, past all of that that's piled up on your plate, and press on further to walk with Jesus? Because that's what he's asking you to do. Walk the road with him. And knowing and believing this, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, may keep your hearts and minds through faith in one Lord Jesus, now and unto eternal life. Amen.